the kingdom is such a cool theme that I'm so excited to uh, talk about uh, in, over the next few weeks leading up to Easter uh, because Jesus arguably talked about this concept of this kingdom more than any other thing. And, and there's so much of it that is still mysterious and that we still have scholars and pastors wrestling through. But here's a couple things we can talk about that we know about the kingdom. Uh, the first thing is that the king of the kingdom is Jesus. And the second thing is it's not a kingdom like any other. And those are the only things you really need to know this morning. Is that Jesus is the king, the kingdom is here, and it's unlike any other kingdom. It's not about power, it's not about political gain, it's not about uh, anything other than just Jesus Christ. So this morning I am excited because I get to introduce uh, one of my favorite pastor speakers uh, that I've known. One who I deeply respect because every year, uh, for, well, for many reasons, but one of the reasons is if you didn't know, the season of Lent is about to start. The season of Lent is this season that we, we lead up uh, to Easter in. And uh, this speaker taught me this great tradition that happens on a great holiday that maybe you've heard of called Fat Tuesday. If you guys didn't know, Fat Tuesday is this Tuesday. And, and, and Fat Tuesday, this whole idea is you're supposed to, you know, kind of enjoy all of these things before you decide to give up something for Lent uh, starting on Ash Wednesday, the next day. And so I can still remember the first time this happened in our life. My dad brought home this box of things that were, I couldn't pronounce them, called pushkis. How many guys eat pushkis every year? They're delicious. Here's basically what they are. They're basically a donut. It's just a fancy donut, and everyone loves donuts. And I'll never forget, my dad brought this box home, and I was like, oh, sweet, you got donuts for us for the morning. He said, no, 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 we're eating these with dinner. That's the greatest day of my life. I love Fat Tuesday. So as you can see, this person has deep wisdom. Uh, anyone who suggests to eat donuts with dinner is a person that's willing uh, it's worth listening to. But for real, I'm excited. Uh, my dad agreed to be here this morning. Uh, my dad has been in ministry for, what, 50? No, I'm 35. I, he's been in ministry for a long time. And, uh, no, I, my dad is one of my heroes. He has been a pastor for many years, and uh, he's spoken here many times. And uh, would you guys just give a warm welcome to Pastor Dave Perry, who's going to open up God's Word this morning. Okay, so during Lent in Italy, they would give up wine and bread. In the northern areas where Polish people and the Germans and that, they gave up fat because, you know, that, that was their vice. And so Fat Tuesday, you're supposed to eat all the fat you have in your house on Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. And then for the next, you know, seven weeks, you're supposed to give up anything pleasurable, Fat, sugar, wine, uh, your spouse, anything, meat, and, and just do that. And, and that's a big thing in Michigan because of the influence of the Catholic Church and all that. I have a buddy named Roger, 
And, and I won't tell you his last name, Labazo, because it would be too embarrassing. But uh, Roger's wife always gives up chocolate for Lent. And usually about halfway through Lent, Roger will come to me and say, I cannot wait for Easter. She is a bear, you know. And, and Brenda gets a huge basket of chocolate on Easter morning, mainly to save Roger's life. So, so yeah, pushkis are great. They're 2,000 calories a piece. It's just enough flour to hold the sugar and cream and butter together. And, and the traditional one, the, prune, the traditional ones are prune filled. Yes, I know. You're, you're thinking. But I have a theory why they did that. If you've got that much fat in your body, you need something to make sure it exits it. <laughs> Enough said. My home church right now, uh, they're going to have a, a pancake luncheon right after church. It's free. We take up a free will offering. We'll make four or five hundred dollars for missions. And what cracks me up is all these people who have sugar and cholesterol and heart issues, they'll line up all their pills on the tables and say, I really shouldn't do this. And they'll go up twice because there's platters of sausage and bacon and pancakes. But I gave it up because I love my my son and my daughter-in-law and we wanted to be here. Two weeks ago, Jeannie and I are on vacation in Honolulu. And I kept saying to Jeannie back when she planned this last summer, you know, the baby's going to come. Oh, no. Hunter said the baby will come a week after we get back. So Aaron calls us while we're on vacation. Have you ever been stuck with a grandma on vacation while her daughter-in-law is having a baby? It's like being in a, in a cage with an animal that's just going back and forth. I kept saying to her, if you were there... What would you be doing? Boiling water and tearing rags? I mean, what? They've had a baby before. They'll be fine. And and so, uh, but it's been a joy because it's really been weird. I haven't seen Silas uh, almost two weeks after he's born. He's a dead ringer for his daddy. His daddy's birthday is this week. 30 years ago, Aaron was born. And Aaron's kind of unusual story. This has nothing to do with my message, but that's all right. So 30 years ago, this past September, my wife had the flu. I took her to a man that was a member of our church and a dear friend, Dr. Aaron Warren. And I took him to Doc's office. And Doc was a tall, lanky Tennessean. And I'll never forget Doc coming out of the office, big grin on his face. He said, that flu will be gone in seven months. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then when Aaron was born... Back then, young people, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, you know, video games. We only had TV with three channels. But anyways, after Jeannie had Aaron, I had to go downstairs. I had a pocket full of change. I'm using the pay phone there in the lobby of that hospital, calling relatives and all that. I go back upstairs. She is bawling and crying. I said, what's the matter? Well, our doctor who delivered the baby, who had all the personality of a dead fish, he had come in and said to her, He looks fine except for the hole in his heart. So the day after Aaron was born, we went to this big hospital in South Bend, Indiana, and they showed us he had a hole in the bottom of his heart pushing the blood out. 
And they were talking about surgery and this and that and the complications. And Jeannie and I prayed for him. You know, we just said, God, he's your gift to us. And we give him back to you and just say, touch him. And the doctor said, he'll have to have surgery if he never puts on weight, if he never moves much, and if he doesn't eat much. Ladies and gentlemen, for 30 years, he has been perpetual motion. He has been noisy from the get-go. And to this day, this man can eat his weight and mashed potatoes any time you put him in front of him. God healed him. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm saying God healed him. Because several times over the years, we've said to doctors, how's his heart? His heart is fine. He's doing great. So your pastor's a miracle in Jeannie and my life. And and when we look at little Silas, he's a dead ringer. I mean, the face and everything. It's just like, wow, this is uncanny. Bless your heart, Hunter. <laughs> you have another one, just like this one. And we're laughing, too, because the last few days, uh, Gideon goes up to us. Jeannie will hold him, uh, Silas, or I'll hold Silas, and he'll say, give it to Mama. Come play with me. And so, uh, if you want to know Silas's true name, his nickname by his brother is It. And uh, that's working out pretty good. Hey, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. As Pastor said, we're going to be looking at the kingdom and the kingdom of God. And this is a great passage, and I'm excited to be able to share it with you. And so if you have a Bible, I'm in Matthew chapter 4. And we'll be starting here, uh, verses uh, 12, reading through 17. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went, and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. To fulfill what was said by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Oh God, more than my thoughts, more than my words, I pray, oh God, that your truth would shine forth to these dear friends. Speak to their hearts, encourage, challenge, convict, and move us. Move us to Jesus. This we pray in his mighty name. Amen. If you were going to start a brand new thing to grab people's attention that was going to be life-changing, culturally uh, transforming. Where would you start? I think in this area, having been coming to Kokomo now for about four years, I think you'd put placards or signs up here on 31, right? Or maybe go down to Carmel, down that area. Or down to Indy. Maybe down in the circle. Maybe go down to the Hoosier Dome or something like that. Maybe put it on one of the TV stations. How many of you are going to start something life-changing, transforming, would say, let's go and start 
at Bennett Switch or Galveston. I'm not saying Galveston, Texas, that Glenn Campbell used to sing about. I'm talking about Galveston, Indiana. Galveston, I, you know, that's the thing about Indiana. I used to drive delivery truck in the 70s when I worked at, in, uh, at, at uh, Ethan Allen Furniture. And I remember having to make a delivery from Anderson to what I thought was Peru. And I stopped because they didn't have GPS back then. And I stopped at a gas station and the guy said, Peru, it's over here. So how do you say, I said Galveston, what did you say? Okay, all right. I'll take your word for it. But we wouldn't start there with a big life-changing message, amen? We probably wouldn't because it's, it's, there's not much to it. Where your pastor was born in that area, uh, there's places called Smyrna, Intrican. I mean, you got to know how to get there to be there, you know? It's the kind of place where they say, you remember that general store they had 50 years ago that burned down 40 years ago? It's right by there about a half mile down the road. It's that sort of thing. And what I find really interesting, here's Jesus, who's just come off the temptation in the wilderness, in the desert, where he fought the devil using the word of God. And now he's ready to launch. He's 30 years old. He's a man who had established a business, worked as a carpenter, he was a man, and he's ready to transform the world. And where does he go? He goes to this area of Nephtali and Zebulon, places like Galvaston and Bennett Switch. And you might say, why would he start there? It's the same reasoning when you look at where was Jesus born. He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a crossroads with a party store and, and a and a in a post office. That was about it. Where was the king of the world born? He's born in that barn down behind the Jiffy Lube there in Bethlehem. I mean, think about it. It's kind of funny. And you might say, well, why did God do that? I believe he did it for a reason, a specific reason. And I believe it's for this reason. Because God's trying to convey both at his birth and now at the beginning of his ministry that he is a king whose kingdom goes everywhere. It's not just about the big wigs in Indianapolis and Carmel, but it's places like Bennett Switch and Galveston and Smyrna and Entrecan. He wanted people to understand that in the kingdom of God, to those who feel overlooked, to those who feel left out or rejected, to those who feel like they're lost in the dark, they're not. That he sees them. That uh, the light of God is here. He sees you. He knows you. And he loves you. And I believe that with all my heart. God's allowed me to travel in the last uh, 39 years of ministry uh, across the United States and different places in South America, Central America, and Haiti. And I can tell you, friends, I have never been anywhere that's beyond the reach of God. I've never been anywhere where it's so dark that the gospel does not break through. And I believe with all my heart that God sees you, that he knows you, and that he loves each and every one of you. And no one in the kingdom of God is too small or too insignificant. And I could tell you story after story. That's 
really what I am. I'm more of a storyteller than anything else. But I want to tell you this story about a friend of mine named Robbie. I pastored for 18 years in a community called Greenville, Michigan. It's a bedroom community to Grand Rapids. That's the second biggest city in the state of Michigan. And Greenville's a nice, nice community. And then I was moving from there to Edgewood. And Edgewood's kind of like the land of Nephitali. I mean, it's, it's, you gotta go there to get there. But wonderful people. It's a farm church. Love it there. But in the process of moving 10 years ago, a friend of mine called me, Julie. Julie was a waitress at a coffee shop that I went to. I went to there quite a bit. In fact, many people referred to it as my office. It was a wonderful place. And Julie and I, I was usually one of the first customers there early in the morning, and we would talk. And Julie heard me tell stories about Jesus and how he loves us and how he cares for each and every one. She was a person who did not go to church, didn't have much connection with church people, but we became good friends. And when she heard I was moving, she said, hey, pastor, you're moving close to where my brother Robbie lives. And Robbie's really in tough shape. And he could use a friend. Could you be a friend to my brother Robbie? I said, sure, Julie. So she gave me his address. And I looked him up. He actually lived 40 miles north of me. But that's fine. And I went to find Robbie. And Robbie was a guy who was a little shorter than me and half my size. He was a skinny little guy. He was about 41 years old 10 years ago. And Robbie was a mess. Robbie had never finished high school. Robbie had lived his life in what I call survival mode. See, his his mom had three kids. And his mom and dad lived in a small community there in Michigan. And I don't know how it is in Indiana, but in small communities, the nice thing about small communities is everybody knows you. Bad thing about living in a small community, everybody knows you. And his daddy was the town drunk. I mean, knocked down, slobber-nosed drunk. And his dad died when he was in junior high. I knew some of this because Julie had told me the story about her family. And Julie had told me when she was 16, ran away from home. Her little sister followed suit about a year or so later. And Robbie was stuck with mom. And mom was a lady who was a survivor. She just moved into one guy's house after another. And they lived a pretty chaotic life. So when Robbie was about 16, he he was behind in school anyways. He blew off and took off. And he just lived to get by. He lived a life where uh, whatever he made and menial jobs he could find, he drank away on the weekend. He partied hardy, traveled all around, had nothing to show at age 41 for his life, had no possessions, had nothing. And at age 41, he had developed the same issue his daddy did. And when I met Robbie, he was a skinny little guy, but he was bloated because he was in the last stages of cirrhosis of the liver. His liver had given up. He was all yellow. He had no energy. And it was summertime, and we would sit in lawn chairs at Mama's house, and we'd talk. And he was pretty depressed. And I'd just say, well, Robbie, tell me about your life. Tell me where you've been and things. And we talked about that. I, Robbie, let me tell you a story. And I'd tell him the stories about Jesus. I love the Gospel, Luke chapter 15. 
I told him the story about the shepherd that had a hundred sheep and one was lost. And he went looking for that lost sheep. Told him about the story about the old woman. She lost a coin. Tore the whole house upside down. Pulled out the sofa cushions. Moved the refrigerator. Looked at the dust bunnies underneath the sofa. Till she found that coin and jumped for joy and rejoiced. Finding that lost coin. Told him about the boy that ran away from his daddy. Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Why don't you give me my money now? And he partied it away and blew it all. And yet when that boy came home, broken and rejected, his daddy jumped up, this pot-bellied fellow, ran and hugged him and said, My son who's dead is alive. My son who's lost is found. And I tell Robbie these stories. And over the course of a couple of months, we talk and visit and sometimes get a bite to eat. Robbie said to me, he said, you know, Dave, there was a day a couple years ago where I was so depressed. I was down in Texas and I thought I'm going to end it all. I was in an area where they had cliffs and I thought I'm just going to throw myself off this cliff and just be done for. And he said, when I got up to do that, he said, I felt somebody grab hold of me and it freaked me out because I was by myself. And I heard somebody talk to me and call me by name and said, you don't want to do this, Robbie. And he said, then I felt all peaceful. And I sat down. It could have been the buzz I had going. I don't know. He said, but I sat down and I slept. And when I woke up the next morning, I looked at that cliff. I should have been dead. But somebody grabbed hold of me. Somebody talked to me. And here I am today. And I said, Robbie? I believe that was Jesus. Truthfully, I do believe that was him. Because I believe in a king who doesn't give up on anybody. And there's no place that's too small. There's no person that's so insignificant. There's no person who's so screwed up their life that God does not love them and that his spirit is not reaching out to them and in love trying to bring them back to him. I said, Robbie, you're here because Jesus was there with you. And man, he's here with you today. So one afternoon, sitting in those lawn chairs, Robbie said, Jesus, I need your help. And he asked him in his life. Now, Robbie died at the end of that summer. I wish I could tell you, oh, he got better and he got healed and he got a job. I can't tell you that. He died broke. He died and his mama cried and his sisters cried. But he died, not alone, but he died with Jesus by his side. He didn't die feeling unloved and defeated, but he died feeling loved and knowing that there was something that he couldn't begin to imagine that was waiting for him at the next place. I would have loved to have been there. Because Robbie would have partied harder than he ever had done here on earth and been totally sober at the same time. I think it would have freaked him out. Because, you know, the Bible says when one person turns to heaven, all of creation, all of heaven celebrates. There's confetti, there's pinatas, they put them pointy hats on with the rubber bands. There's cake, there's ice cream, and it's not organic, it's really the good stuff, all right? 
I know you're listening live stream, Hunter. That was for you. But when I get to heaven someday, my hope is to see Robbie. And I want to encourage some of you. Some of you are like me. I come from a family that's got some broken people. Got a lot of alcoholism through it. But I still believe that God loves them and is reaching out to them. And in your family as well. And for some of you who feel like, man, I've messed up. I've screwed up. My life is over. Uh, there's no hope. There's no chance to go back and do over. You're still loved. And there's still hope. And there's still something better ahead. If you just trust Jesus. In the kingdom of God, no one is overlooked. No one is too small. No one is too insignificant. And it begins this way. If you really want to experience this love and know more about it, you got to do what Jesus talked about here in that last verse we looked at here this morning, verse uh, 17. Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The idea of repent is this. I grew up going to church as a kid back in the 60s. And I remember we get some, sometimes these hillbilly preachers from down south, repent, you know. And, and man, they get you scared, you know. And I went to the altar 2,900 times. <laughs> every revival. And I would confess every sin I knew and made up a few just to be safe, you know. And it took me as I got older and to read the Bible and understand Yes, that is part of it. We are sinners. We are broken. We are rebels. We are heathens. I said yesterday as we gathered with our family, I said, I love my grandbabies, but you know, every single one of my grandbabies was born a heathen rebel. And it's us to us to teach them about Jesus. Because they are. They're little heathens. I love them dearly. They're a lot like their grandma. But, uh, <laughs> but they need Jesus. And repent means this. Repent means you're going the wrong direction. You're going your own direction. The biggest problem we have, we think we can run our own lives. Can I tell you something? You can't. You're going to mess up if you think you're in charge and you know what's best. How's that working for you so far? We're going the wrong direction. We're going away from God. And you don't have to be someone like my friend Robbie. I mean, you could be straight-laced, you know, never smoke, drink, dance, or chew, all American, and always gone to church and all that. But if you don't know Jesus, you're still going the wrong way. And you're just as lost as my buddy Robbie was. Repent means that I'm going to turn around to follow Jesus. I'm going away from him, and I realize I need him more than anything else, and so I'm going to turn around and go to Jesus. That's what repent means. It means to turn around. And it means to let go of the old. I like to ask people these questions. What is it, if you had it, would make your life perfect? Would be the answer to everything? Ask some of your friends, your coworkers, your classmates. It's always interesting to hear. Some people think, well, you know, if I had a better house, if I had a better job, where I live in Michigan, they all think if we won the lotto, People are nuts about the lotto in Michigan. It's hard to go to the gas station. I want this one, this one, scratch, scratch. Oh, I didn't win. I'm like, look, next time you want to throw $30 away, give me some. 
I'll give you $5 back and you'll feel happy. Okay? And we'll both be happy. They haven't taken me up on that yet. But they think if I win the lot, if I had more money, if I could lose weight, if I could lose weight. I remember a few years ago, I was in the grocery store. I'm sometimes in a hurry. And there was two women ahead of me, and they had kind of put their shopping carts like this. And the one girl said to the other, I see you got that shake stuff. You've been doing that? She said, yeah. And the one girl said to the other, said, girl, ain't doing you no good. <laughs> oh, I got to back up quick. <laughs> I know I shouldn't laugh, but that was funny. You, know? <laughs> you could lose weight. Would that make you happy? It might for a little bit, but it wouldn't answer everything. You had a different wife or a different husband. You had a kid, had your kids leave, move out. I'm telling you right now, sometimes the things we think make us happy will not make us happy. Repentance is about turning away from the way we think we ought to go, turning to Jesus, letting go of these things we think that will make us happy, and letting go of them so that we can turn to Jesus and we can embrace him. And some of you have found, and some of you could testify, that finding Jesus was the answer. It wasn't in anything else you pursued, anything else you tried. It was embracing and accepting, following Jesus that made all the difference in your life. And that's what repentance is all about. And whether you do it kneeling at an altar, standing up, whether you're all alone or in a crowd, whether you're at a church service or just driving in a car, to, to realize, God, I'm going the wrong way, and what I really need is you more than anything else. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come in my life. God, I'm putting my arms out and saying, here I am. And I just want to hold on to you. I want to follow you. That's what repentance is. And the kingdom, the kingdom is recognized as that Jesus is it. He's all that and a bag of chips. I mean, he's everything. That's what I need. And Jesus, that's what I want. I want you more than anything else. And I want you to lead me and and show me and teach me how you want me to live. That's what the kingdom's about. And if you've never done that, today's the day you could say yes to Jesus. Today's the day that you could stop living for yourself and start living for Jesus. Today's the day where your life could be transformed. I'm not going to promise you're going to lose weight or you're going to get a better car or a better job or win the lotto, but I can promise you this. If you find Jesus, you really won't care about the rest of those things because he's bigger and greater than anything you can dream or hope or imagine. To know that your sins are forgiven. To know that your life has a purpose and a plan. And to know that beyond this world, there's something better yet to come. To know that you're never alone, but there's somebody with you. Somebody inside of you. To be able to read the Word of God and realize, this is God's love message to me. The kingdom of God is here today. Knowing Jesus is the door into the kingdom. And following Jesus is what it means to live in the kingdom. How about you, friends, today? I'm not going to try to push you or guilt you, 
But I just want to invite you today, just like my friend Robbie, Jesus loves you and he cares for you. These next few moments, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads with me. And just right where you sit, you can say, Jesus, I realize I need you more than anything else. Jesus, I want you more than anything else. Like Robbie, I just need God. I need you. I need you. And friends, as you pray that prayer, you're beginning a brand new life. A brand new life. And if you want somebody to pray with you, while we sing in the next few moments, you want to come forward, uh, Pastor or myself be happy to pray with you. You want to come and hang around after church is over, be happy to talk to you. But don't leave today without saying yes to Jesus. God bless your people. Open their hearts. Thank you for your great love. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.